Head of Bee King has achieved so many career goals and is talented in millinery, jewellery, couture sewing and more recently Barbie doll couture with his most able assistant Crazy Bella. Have a look at Kenneth's Instagram page or Facebook page or website to see how he's now applying his many talents with Crazy Bella and her crew. You're listening to So Organised Style Podcast, produced by me, Maria Theoharis, Susan Goodwin of Measure Twice Cut Ones Patterns, and Anne Wally, the Pattern Whisperer. During our chat with Kenneth, it does seem that our conversation is an ongoing feast of fun topics. But how can you pin a man who has done so much to just one achievement in his life? Kenneth isn't just about creating beautiful things. He's helped his closest friend Mark leave a domestic violent relationship and gives others the strength to be their true selves. Here we go. So now, are you aware that I have a podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've read half your book. I know all about you, Kenneth. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You don't have to read the book. I have it on audiobook. I don't know if I'm going to be able to listen to that at the gym because my I can tell you my jaw drops when I'm reading it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing about the audiobook and the podcast is there are sound effects. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are times that the right sound effect nails it. Yes. And, you know, like when I talked about my friend Penny who looked like uh, Jane Russell and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and she was always banging her forehead on my kitchen door. <laughs> the sound effect that I used was a bolt of fabric falling on the floor. Perfect. It had to sound like it hurt, but it had to be funny. Yes. So it was a specific thing that I was listening for. And I went through all these sound effects before I found this one. And then when I, you know, because it sounded familiar. So when I looked at the, you know, what it was, it mm. was a bolt of fabric hitting the floor. Do I call okay. you Kenneth or do I call you Mr. King? Okay. Kenneth is fine, yeah. Thanks. My students call me professor. <laughs> oh. They have to. <laughs> because I know what I'm not allowed to call you because I've listened to your podcast. Yes, that's, yeah. Only one person who can call me Kenny is that's Elton. That's right. That's and right. I call him Elton. <laughs> Sorry. I just keep cracking up I, every time you say I that. I brought my assistant <gasps> and I brought Crazy Bella. <laughs> oh, Crazy Bell at Notice, the invisible zipper. Wow. In the back of the fully lined strapless dress. Yes. And I'm sure that it's hand picked. No, it's invisible. It's an oh, invisible okay. zipper. And then, of course, the gold chain. <sighs> what? Seriously, this is amazing. In her. Yeah, and this is, you know, they're for sale. Not my assistant and Crazy Bella, but you see, how I do it is they hire a model that wears the outfit for you. That's kind of how I sell it. So you get the doll with, you know, the outfit box, but, you know, my assistant hires the model. The model travels with the outfit, so she wears it for you. That's, yes. And there's little tiny, you know, little labels, KDK labels. Yeah. So, yeah. It's turned into this weird thing. And I don't know if you follow my Instagram, but there are the Orloff Valensky triplets, the rollerblading girl group from somewhere in Eastern Europe. Then there is the security. This is her security. 
Wow. The gallery is opening tomorrow night. I don't know if you saw my my uh, Instagram where I was making hoops and crinolines for this ball gown. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it, the, the, the exhibit is called Drag to Dervish. And so I figured, you know, because normally I, I would take his wig off for just appearances in galleries. But since this is a kind of a drag show, he's going to wear his uh, beautiful hair. Oh, so are you talking about Hunter Reynolds? Yes. Oh, wow. You know him? You sent me the information, like you sent me the pack about him, yeah. and then uh -huh. you sent the dress form um, that you've done and all the hoops. It's amazing. Yeah. That was God, that was a heavy lift. 80 yards of uh, eighty yards of tool for the, the petticoat on that thing. Oh, my gosh. 80 yards. And two words, static electricity. Oh. I could have powered my studio for a week with the stat static electricity. <laughs> Thing. Oh my, my god! And yeah. look, Hunter must be really fit to be able to wear that and move. It's a hoop, you know. It's it's not that heavy. Surprising. No? Okay. It's quite light. It's just big. Yeah. And he is tall because when the hoops that I, because I thought, oh, this is gonna be easy. I'm just gonna buy some hoops and make that petticoat, and it'll be easy. And then I bought the damn hoops, and I put them on the form and I put the gown on the form and the hoops were about 18 inches off the floor because the, the, the waist to him on this thing is 54 inches. He's very tall. Mm. And I thought, so that's why I had to remake the hoops because they were too short. Oh, I know. Of course. Of course. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> you know, just man up and do it. So that's, yeah. So this week, my research is I'm going to be doing a, uh, velveteen jacket class for blueprint and nice. so my thing is okay i think i just need to make one because it's been quite a while since i made a velveteen jacket and so what i'm gonna what i'm looking at is okay because there there apparently there's some limitations on length of class so there are certain things i'm gonna have to figure out okay do we do this with fusible do we do this you know how yeah. can we kind of because there's where I want to go with it, which is, you know, tailoring, but yeah. you know, we may not have time for that. So, so that's my, that's my job this week. Can I just say if I'll, I'll sum you up in two words, not boring. I think that's an accurate assessment. Yeah. Extraordinary life, but not just extraordinary, but seizing every single situation mm -hmm grabbing onto it with both hands and running hard in your life. And that that drive, that passion, and that excitement for fashion, for opportunities, unbelievable. And I'm sure there's been highs and lows because I've read a bit of the oh, book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, you a lot of people ask me, why don't you talk about how you got to New York? You know, because the book ends in 96, 97, Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I don't, have you finished the book? No, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Okay, so I, I won't do the spoiler alert then. No, because, don't do it. But from, I say, 98 to about 2003 was not a good period. Mm. And someone asked me, well, you know, are you going to write about it sometime? And I did, 
it was a couple of years ago, I was away at camp and, and my husband was doing a, a job in San Francisco, so he couldn't be there. So, you know, it was just one of those, like, I'm out in the country. Mm. I just need to sit down and write this. Mm. And I had to write it in the third person because that was the only way I could do it. Mm. And he kept, you know, so I would send him, you know, kind of where I, where I was. And he just kept emailing me back saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. I'm like, yes, honey, it's fine. Mm. But I just want you to know this. So yeah. yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's been, and I may, I may actually turn it into a podcast at some point because I do think that, um, you know, there are people who think that my life has always been kind of sparkling and, you know, filled with champagne and heart opening and all of that. And mm. it, 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 yeah, it's pretty exciting and all of that. But, you know, for me, I looked at, you know, looking back on it, it mm. pushed me to move to New York. Yes. But it was, you know, it was not an easy time. And um, someone I talked, it was my my former assistant's husband came to visit me here. They, they were here visiting some. And, and he said to me, and it was interesting because I met him when I was kind of in the middle of this. He said, in San Francisco, there was always an air of melancholy around you. And I thought, wow, I thought I had masked it better than that because, you know, I, I I like to think that, you know, because the show goes on, and I think that's why um, people like the So Expo are actually paying me to do this, because no matter what, I will be there. I have taught with food poisoning. I have taught with crashing migraines. I have taught with broken ribs. Um, you know, you sh you want me there? I'm there, and I do it no matter what. And, but yeah, that was, it was one of those periods that was kind of uh, challenging, shall we say. But I think that's one thing about the refuge of fabric, isn't it? That, that, that helps us through, but doing creative things mm. doesn't take away the pain, doesn't take away the situation, but it mm -hmm. gives us something to focus on. So when you were going through that situation, did you mm -hmm. find it was hard to be creative or, or did you find that that was a refuge? It was, I was doing some of my best work. Huh? But what's interesting, when I look through my archive, I can tell, mm. you know, if you look, line up the pictures, mm -hmm. I can tell when it was because everything was black. Uh. And then when I started using color again, everyone said, oh, I thought you hated color. I, no, that was just because I was going through a thing. Mm. You know, I had used, and then when color showed up again, everyone was kind of surprised by that looking at kind of what's happening in the United States right now and just mm -hmm. the craziness of the situation and all, that's part of why I make Barbie clothes because yeah. I'll listen to the news. Because when I was a kid, I remember, because my, I mean, you heard some of it in the book, you know, my mother, God rest her soul, she was, she was kind of crazy and mm -hmm. life was kind of crazy. And so, so you needed oh, fractions. Yes, I did. By mm -hmm. golly. Um, but I, retreated into making things and so it's kind of interesting because people have asked me about you know your career and all of this and i finally have come to this conclusion that really my career is making things talking about making things writing about making things investigating making things making things you know that seems to be what i do you know designing being a couturier that's one subset of the business i just have all these different things that i do but really you know 
it's it's what keeps me from like wanting to run and jump in front of a train sometimes when you hear some of the crazy stuff that's going on. Look, when I look at how you explain things and you do workshops and you talk, you you teach, you you have so many ways where you get your information out, but you don't make it so it's unattainable to people. You talk about your experience, how you jumped in with both feet, you got your hands dirty and you were prepared for a fail, but you didn't want to spend 500 years doing it. You just yeah. wanted to get the result. And yeah. I loved how you, you empower people to do things, mm -hmm. try them. And even if it mm -hmm. means your fabric gets lost in the, in yeah. the story, That's it's okay. Yeah. And well, I love that. I tell my students at FIT, there's no magic in this. This is an acquired skill. If you apply yourself, because some of them, like double welt pockets, it's always kind of one of those, oh, and here it is. And I've done hundreds of double welt pockets. I can do them in my sleep practically. They And I have my repeatable, reliable, and that's I, I tell, my, tell my students, some of my techniques are maybe not classic couture techniques, but I get results. I don't want to have to recut a front. I want to put those damn pockets in and move on to the next step because whether you take three days or 30 days to, to mm. do something, you're going to get paid the same amount of money. So, and, and so I tell them, okay, and they say, oh, you make it look so easy. That's because I've done it so many times. When you have practiced, you too can do it. It's an acquired skill. There's no magic here. The magic is the persistence. And not giving up and yeah. not walking away. Right. It's uh, an incredible thing where I know that you are probably against perfection. That's what I feel is something I that... I create the illusion of perfection. It's the best you can do. Perfection yes. isn't a disease. It's a, it's yes. a form of fear. It's, it's a funny thing, though, because we do want to have the outfit that we can open up and say, oh, look here, and everything's fabulous. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all fabrics are different and behave the way they want to behave in any situation mm -hmm. they want to behave in. And I always say to people, you know, do not point out the flaws because you're the only one who knows about them. True. Yeah. yeah. So have you found that you've provided your students and your workshop people, do you help them get over that fence? Do you see a change after everything's said and done? And it's the end of the year or the end of the workshop. How how do you feel the people have travelled through that journey? You know, I don't know how to answer that because everyone is different. I like to think that at least I've given them a little bit of, I've edged them a little bit towards not trying to make it perfect, but actually going and doing it. That, that I, you know, that's the best I can do. You know, I and what's what's kind of interesting is that sometimes you you're never going to know. Sometimes I'll hear years later. Oh, remember when we were in that workshop and you said this and I'm, you know, I, I don't want to say, no, I don't, <laughs> but you know, it's like maybe something I'll say will stick. Or for example, this happened some years ago. Cause when I first started teaching in this, this business, it was 1989, 1990. And I had people sit me down and say, you can't talk about this gay thing. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I live in San Francisco. You can see that I'm gay from satellite photos in space. I can't talk about the gay thing. Mm. And so me, my attitude has been, if you don't like it, don't hire me. 
That, it's that simple. You know, yeah. this is, you know, you talk about your husband, I'll talk about my husband. So over the years, you know, there's been pushback, but I just kind of ignore it because, you know, I, I go where I'm wanted. And if they don't like me, then they don't hire me. So I was in Toronto. This is a, a little while ago. And I was the, it was at the creative festival when Rita still had it. I was teamed up with this guy named John Salote. He had a woodworking show on HGTV Canada. And we were supposed to be the dinner talk. And she had this idea we were going to rehearse and plan. And I said to him, we're not getting paid anymore for this. So we're just going to go up there. and We're just going to shoot from the hip. And we got up there and he was a straight man in all senses of the word. And he was fully like a head taller than me. So I kind of brought down the microphone and I said, so here you have the big guy and the big gay. And I don't know what we said after that, but we killed everyone in the audience was just on the floor. Oh, of course. The gal said, okay, uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to top that next year. I said, not my problem. I'm, I've done my job. <laughs> I'm going back. And so I was walking back to the hotel and this woman wanted to have a word with me. So I said, Lena, what's on your mind? And she started by saying that she had seen me at the first thing I had done for Bernina in San Francisco in 1990. Wow. And she was sort of, she didn't know what to make of it because I seemed like a nice guy and I seemed like I knew what I was talking about, but her preacher told her that people like me burn in hell. What? Okay. okay. Indeed. And she said that over the years, you know, she just, there was, she just kept coming back. She just mm. kept watching. She just kept paying attention. And then her son came out mm -hmm. and he said, her preacher said that he too was going to burn in hell. She said, and then I knew my preacher was wrong. Yes. And I have a good I have a good relationship with my son because you were who you were. Oh, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And I said, you know, you you got new information and uh, you you reevaluated it. You know, ignorance can be corrected. Stupidity, however, is forever. But in this case, you know, she saw you know, different information and mm -hmm. it it kind of moved the bar for her. And so I would like to think one of the things that I do when I'm traveling out there in the bigger world is something like that, that, you know, we're all just people. And all. we all do things wrong, all of yeah. us. And we all have, you know, it's like, we have different things we want. We, you know, we, we all, there are certain things we all want in our lives. We want love in our life. We want to have good work. We want to have good friends. Yeah. That's really it. I think the, the vibe of a person, that's how you know whether you're in the right tribe or not. Yeah. Do mm -hmm. you know some people are nitpickers? Well, the nitpickers can get together and be nitpickers. That's fine. Yeah. We need <laughs> nitpickers, otherwise we couldn't get anything done accurately. I mean, I want a nitpicker to do a surgery on me, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the different types of people, yes, we all have a part to play in the world. All mm -hmm. of us do. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the other people are banned from the world because yeah. they're different. And I mm -hmm. think that's that whole thing about embracing, if you can't handle it, get out of the kitchen. And if you can stay and cook up a meal together, you know, it's yeah. know when to leave and know when to stay, as they say. I think that might be a song somewhere yeah. in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing I don't do is cook. Oh, you're yeah. a restaurant goer? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. My husband cooks, but he has a tiny little New York kitchen, so he doesn't cook much. Yeah. 
You know, he, there was one night he was complaining about the size of his kitchen. And I, I said, okay, sweetie, you live in a rent-stabilized place. So, <laughs> you know, we can afford to eat out if we need to. So, yeah. but no, I, I made that decision years ago. I had to decide which room in the house I was going to be good in. And it certainly wasn't going to be the kitchen. No. Which is right. fair enough. That's good. No, not yourself. Yeah. Let's talk about your fantastic bag and how you came about oh. making it and designing it and what, oh, yes. yes. Okay. Beautiful, yes. Well, the bag itself, show the interior view here. Yes, please. Yes, it, it has its own little shoulder strap. Great. And it has, um, this is plastic mesh. Mm -hmm. And this is, there's slots for your scissors. They're reinforced with canvas along the bottom so the scissors don't poke through. Yes. This is another zipper compartment. There are elastic where you can put all of your, your tools. There's elastic on this side where you can put all your tools. There's a zipper here. There's in the back, there's a zipper compartment here and a compartment for your cell phone and something else. Great. And this is for like pencils or whatever, and another zipper thing here. This is where I put my pins, and then of course there's the Kathy um, King logo because um, why not? Yeah, why yes. not? So, so the bag came. Where the bag came from is a friend of mine. God, fifteen, twenty years ago, gave me this cosmetics bag, and I have my dad's shaving kit, so that's what I use when I travel. But one day I was thinking, I really need to round up all my tools. And so, I mean, they all fit perfectly in it. It was a little bit too, not deep enough, but, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a free thing, I was like, great. So I, I've used that for years and years and years, and it was getting kind of ratty. And the, the compartments were clear PVC because oh. it was a cosmetic bag. And so, you know, it's starting to shred and starting to fall apart. And so Rylas and I got together to get this bag produced. And mm -hmm. so what I, we were able to do was make it a little deeper, and instead of the clear PVC, we got that window screen because we were working with this one company and they were trying to sell us fishnet. And I said, no, that's not mm. going to work because, you know, these kids who were working on it, you know, they, I, they were saying, well, you know, it's, we tested it. I said, no, you haven't. You have no idea what sewing tools are. You have no idea. No. And then I turned into Miranda Priestley. I said, you know, you've had hours and hours to research this and I just don't understand how you can't find some plastic mesh that my students could find on a sad little makeup case at TJ Maxx. I just don't understand what there's a you know why there's a problem. So you know they eventually because they were going to charge us 300 bucks more to research that I said no. So you know but anyway so we got it produced and it's now for sale at the sewing and design school in Tacoma Washington $75 plus shipping and you know <laughs> I know this. Hey, let's sell. You know, and, and did I say she's for sale? No. Um, <laughs> That's you know, well, you know what? I tell my students. This is yes. one thing I tell my students: multiple revenue streams. One revenue stream, which is a job. If you lose that job, you're kind of out of luck. Mm -hmm. But if you have different money coming from different places, yeah, you're better. So yeah, and so basically, the reason I kind of did this is I needed a new bag. And so, so yeah, so it's turned into a thing. So that's the bag. Well, I got one in the mail a few weeks ago. And yeah. I have to say, I opened it and I'm like, you are kidding. Look at all these compartments. No. And then I put it in a very, you know, lovely little place so I could look at it. 
And then I had mm. to go and do a workshop and I'm putting my scissors in a plastic bag and my quick and pick, yeah. I'm thinking mm. I might have to find a cork for that. And then it hit me. Wait. Oh my gosh. You have, I, you have the bag. I yeah. have uh -huh. the bag. So I quickly put the things in it. My pins fitted in perfectly and nothing was a, a miss. And then if I felt like strapping it over my shoulder, well, you know, mm -hmm. those bum bags aren't very good because they make your bum look big. So yeah. I thought, I have the solution. I can throw it over one shoulder or flip it over crosswise over my body and I yeah. can go from student to student and I'm not going to be running around the shop looking for all the little things that I have mm -hmm. or people mm -hmm. stealing my very valuable equipment. Oh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's another thing. Oh, I'll just take her quick and pick because it's a oh. good one. I have a rule, and when I in classes at FIT, I show them. I open it up and I say, "My tool bag, mine. I do not share my toothbrush. I do mm -hmm. not share my tools. If you get into my bag, I will fail you for the semester." And I'm going <gasps> to say that I will fail you for the semester. You will take your stuff and leave because don't even ask me to borrow anything. Mm. No. <laughs> if I hand you the tool, that's one thing. But by golly, that's my bag. And it, because you, you can lose tools very quickly. Oh, yes. And people borrow everything. And so what I like about it is everything. I have a cart that I roll to class. Because I call yeah. it my portable office. And, you know, when I have the, the tools, if I have them out, I'll just put them right on the bag because you know, it's open. And then at the end of class, I pack everything up and everything has its own little home. And, you know, I'm, I'm off and running. And you use that extensively in your workshops and you've been using it for how many years now, would you say, that whole idea? I would say 2005. That's great yeah. testing. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, and, and see, that's why we made it just a little bit deeper because, mm. it, you know, it's just like, eh, just, just, you know, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So, and my students will say, you know, what, what don't you have in there? Because, you know, they'll ask me for something or I'll go look, you know, I'll pull this. And one time I said, the Lindbergh baby and... There was like this, and I said, ask your grandparents. You know, so I have to stop and explain things like the answering machine is what we used to have before voicemail, or the Rolodex is what we used to use before we put everything in our phone. Yeah, so I, I had I couldn't explain the Lindbergh baby quickly, so I didn't. So tell me, what's your favorite workshop? What one do you go, yes, I can't wait to do that, or do you have a feeling that it's great to do a variable amount to keep you fresh in the types you know, of workshops you do. Whatever people want to learn, really. You know, I, there, you know, there, there are things I like. I think are more fun, like the moulage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that, you know, I have never seen it fail. Yeah. I have taught the moulage since probably 1992, and I have never met a figure I can't fit on one shot. Wonderful. Tell okay. me about the people who actually get. Sorry, they get that something that fits them what do you see in their faces when it's working well what they first see is that even though it's skin tight it looks good because it fits their body because a lot of people make the mistake of wearing acres and acres and acres of fabric because they think oh i'm so heavy i just got it no if you have something that fits your figure it's going to automatically make you look well in your clothing i use queen latifah as a really good example her clothes yes. all fit. i met her stylist once and that was my question do you do the fittings or do you see to the fittings and she said the two things she she hammers on are good posture and clothing that fits 
And so when they see, you know, we zip them up and when they see, you can see, they all think, oh, no one can fit me. I'm so weird. And you know, yeah. I, I had a, a student, it was actually in a class at Rylick's. She had the unfortunate combination of scoliosis and a bad car accident. Oh. So I had to take four different, you know, Ooh. right, left, front, you know, and we zip that thing up on her. And the only thing I had to do is just take a quarter of an inch out in the front on the yep. e-term. That was it. And she was kind of gobsmacked by that. And everyone in the class was, you know, because everyone was looking at me like, let's see if we can fit her. And I was thinking, so, yeah, you know, and, and if you get it down, I can measure, calculate, draft, make it up in muslin, fit it in an mm -hmm. hour. Wow. And you're changing lives. In April, um, was I was in at Allison Smith's in London and she had where we made the moulage and then we padded a form and then we made the the arm form to to go with it Ooh. and that was quite fun because you know these these ladies had something that was their figure there was what about and and the forms that she used I don't know where she got them they were really good it was a very dense styrofoam and there was one lady she couldn't ever get a dress form because most people have to pad it up. But she had very narrow shoulders and a very narrow rib cage. So, you know, I was looking at her thinking, well, let's see, I think I need a, um, a saw. And we were able to get a steak knife from the hotel. So here we're like shaving this thing down. And she got exactly what she wanted. So that's, you know, because there are a lot of things that if you just have a form that fits you, you can set hems, you can check yeah. fit. You know, there's a lot that you can do by yourself. That's it. It's the by yourself. I have to do the pinching to see. <clears throat> I might bring it in here, I might bring it there, mm. and I'm sticking my pins into my fingers along with the fabric, but yeah. I'm getting a job done. But yeah. I can tell you, if your arm's sore, you can't reach around the back, you're gone. That's midway through our chat with Kenneth D. King. His many talents have allowed him to develop multiple revenue streams as he's mentioned and no matter how you know Kenneth, you'll have learnt about him through his teaching talents, his books, his workshops, his earlier work in millinery, jewellery making or even display. In this episode we touched on how he has taught his students, given people the courage to be who they are, be the holder of a pattern that fits them through attending his millage workshops or those who are proud owners of their own KDK bag. Next episode will conclude with the rest of this chat with Kenneth D. King. All the workshops and products mentioned by Kenneth in this podcast are available on the show notes on our website, soorganisedstylepodcast.com and also on Kenneth's website at kennethdking.com. This episode of So Organised Style Podcast was produced by me, Maria Theoharis, Anne Wally, and sound by KennethDKing.com. So Organised Style Podcast, spelt with an S, not a Z, is available on our website, SoOrganisedStylePodcast.com, with all the links for this podcast. You'll also find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Castbox. Subscribe to our podcast to listen and tell your friends about our podcast. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we did producing it.